Well, it's happened again. You find yourself on the on-ramp going onto Highway I-55, and you find as you're going near the end of the ramp, all of a sudden you see in the right lane that there's a tractor, trailer, or another car blocking your way. And it's so bad that you have to stop and slow down so that you can finally veer in at the very last second. Or maybe you're at the grocery store, one of our other department stores, and you find that whenever you get to the checkout, that there are all sorts of lines at each and every open checkout, five and six carts deep, and you're already late. Or maybe even it's finally a point of prayer that you see that the Lord has placed it upon your heart to pray for some particular person or intention just in that moment, and you find yourself overwhelmed and too busy. You say you'll get to it later. Each and every one of these scenarios, even though they may not seem to be related, and so many more that are like them, are related by one thing, that they have a fundamental option. In each of these scenarios, are we going to choose to look out for ourselves, or are we going to choose to look out for others? In those moments, it may be difficult. In those moments, it might be trying. But what's the right thing to do? We start this morning with the book of Exodus, and this part of the book of Exodus, it relays to us how the Lord is establishing his rules, his commandments, and his covenant with the people of Israel. And as such, as they've experienced freedom from captivity to Egypt, all of a sudden they find themselves in freedom, but they also need some sense of direction. So the Lord's providing it to them. And he starts to go through these different sort of commandments and these laws and these regulations because he wants to encourage them to see how he deals with them, or in particular, how they should view their neighbor. So he starts off, Do not molest or oppress an alien, for you yourself were once aliens. He starts off this way to remind them that I've done something for you, you should do something in return. Or even if you wrong a widow or an orphan, then if you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will hear them and I will answer their cry. But what's worse, terrible things will befall you. And we see that, and it's actually something of a plight of a sort of consequence. But then finally he gets to the very end and he says that whoever is loaning to one of their poor neighbors, that they should not become an extortioner, they should not charge interest. And what's more, if they take their cloak as a pledge, they should return it before nightfall, before it gets cold, because they may not have anything else with which to keep warm. All of these things the Lord is laying out before them because he wants them to understand the need to have compassion and have concern. And we see that at the very end. He says, I will hear them if you don't, for I am compassionate. It's almost ironic and it's an indicting statement because anyone who does not hear the cry of their poor neighbor, all of a sudden the Lord will hear it for them. But it's to the shame of the one who ignored them. But nonetheless, the Lord is telling them, follow and love your neighbor just in a very elaborate way. We move on and we hear from St. Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians, and it continues on the same theme that we heard about last week, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that the fact that the church in Thessalonica has really abounded in faith, that they've heard the call to obey the gospel, and they've not only heard it and kind of said that's nice and put it aside, but they've heard it and they've decided to take it on as their own. What's more, they saw the example of Paul, of Silvanus, of Timothy, of all the other disciples. They saw them and they saw them as someone worth imitating. And so they take up their example, they model what they did, and they try to follow the Lord just as faithfully as they do. 
And notice the impact. That it's not just the church in Thessalonica that is impacted, but in fact it goes out to mess all of these different towns and all of these different communities that they see what is going on and they give thanks to God because even in adversity, even in difficult circumstances, even in moments when it may not have been easy to follow, they lived out faith and they lived it well. And so the church in Thessalonica has responded, and Paul gives thanks to God because they are imitating him, they're imitating the Lord, they're taking on everything that he has encouraged them to do. And then finally we arrive at the gospel according to Matthew. So we know last week that they tried to trip Jesus by trying to get him to pit Caesar against God, and he ignored their challenge, and he in fact went above it. But this time, because the Pharisees heard that he has silenced the Sadducees, someone they don't ordinarily get along with very well, they still have a common cause that they want to discredit Jesus. And so they come up with another scenario. They ask him, teacher, which law in the law, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And you have to understand the context that in the Jewish law, in their teaching, there are 613 different laws, rules, and regulations. They are asking Jesus to pick just one out of all of those as the greatest. It seems it's, it's impossible. It seems that if he does that, he's going to break apart the rest of the law. And in fact, Jesus is very savvy. He knows that the entire law doesn't break down to just one commandment, but two. And so he lays them out. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and all of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Now think about the magnitude of what he's saying. 613 rules, 613 laws and regulations and requirements, 613 different things that the Jews have to follow each and every day. There's only two that are fundamentally there. And this is actually true, not just in the Jewish community and their faith, but even in ours. Because if we look at the Ten Commandments, we can break them down fundamentally into just two. That if we look at the first three commandments, they deal with love of God. How we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. And then the last seven deal with our neighbor. How we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So in fact, Jesus is on to something. But another way we might think of the way that Jesus is laying this all out is that fundamental question I asked earlier. Whenever it comes to our view on life, are we focused primarily on ourselves or are we focused on others? If we go back to the first reading, we understand that we have to see the ways that God is expounding upon his love, not just for individuals who are on a down and out or down low, but rather he's telling about his love for each and every one of his people. That he's telling how even when they were aliens, when they were in captivity, he saw them in their plight and he answered and helped them. Even widows and orphans, they call to him, he answers. In the moments whenever there are those that are extorting or charging interest over their brothers and sisters, being very cruel and very unfair, the Lord hears their cry, he answers them and sets them free. But that's to recognize how much he loves us. Because it might be something that's really easy to say, like God loves you. What does that really mean? What does that look like? Because we know that the Lord does love us, that he comes, he suffers, and he dies upon the cross for each and every one of us. And we do not know the full breadth and width of the love that God has for us, even though we give, get some sort of idea through the cross and through the ways that he says, he promises, he preaches, and he tells us. 
And so we do know that the Lord our God loves us. And in fact, that is what the book of Exodus is saying. That it's telling them that look at all the ways that the Lord loves you. Now it's your turn to go and love others with that same love. To take the Lord's generosity and to spread it out, to give it to one another. And so that's the first thing we need to realize. God's love for each and every one of us. But it can't just stop there. Because then we need to go on. Because as we see that Jesus is encouraging the crowds, what is he encouraging them to do? To love the Lord their God and to love their neighbor. Now when it comes to loving God, what does he say? He doesn't just say love God and that's kind of up to your own machination and what that looks like. No, he says, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And that's something that might be difficult. That's something that takes our entire being. That's something that takes our entire life to figure out because it's so hard to do, to do it correctly. But it's so necessary because we have a God who loves us so much as well. So we're told not just to love God in a kind of empty way, not to give just empty gestures or to maybe send him a Hallmark card every once in a while, but to love the Lord our God with our every moment, with our every breath, and with everything that we have. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. But then he says the second part, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now this actually requires us to do something, and it seems rather odd, that it requires us first and fundamentally to love ourselves. It requires us to have a sort of compassion and understanding and love for our very being. Unless we think that we already do that, so many times the world gets it wrong in how we're supposed to love ourselves. Because the world says to love yourself in a very selfish way. To just go do what you want. To pursue what you want to pursue. To do what you want to do. To do all those things in ignorance of everyone else. That's not what love is. And that's not the way the Lord loves us. Because in fact, whenever he's telling us to love our neighbor as ourselves, he's reminding us to love ourselves in the way that he loves us, to see our goodness, to see our potential, to see the ways that we are created in goodness and beauty and light, to recognize all of those things and to love those things about ourselves, to cherish them and treasure them. Because what if we don't? Well, not only can we not love our neighbor, but then we can't even function ourselves. We start to feel insecure. We start to become defensive whenever anybody challenges us or they do anything to correct us in any way. Or sometimes whenever we feel that we aren't worth all that much, we start to grasp at straws and try to find things, power, authority, prestige, money, all sorts of different things that make us feel like we're truly worth something. And what's bad about that is we start to become consumers. We start to look for what we can take in. We start to look for the ways that our neighbor can benefit us. And so we start to grasp on only in a utilitarian way that we want to use everyone else. And yet, if we truly love ourselves and see the way God loves us, that doesn't encourage us to do that sort of behavior. It encourages us to look past ourselves. It encourages us to look towards the common good, to look towards the good of organizations, of different individuals, of the poor and the down and out that are in our community or even in our own families and relationships, to look out for all of them because they too are loved by God in the same way. But lest we think this is going to be easy, we should realize the full magnitude of what the Lord is saying. He's not saying love the neighbors that you get along with. Not love the neighbors that you really want to spend time with. Not just those, but all of your neighbors. Even the ones you hate. 
Even the ones you can't get along with. Even that one that shows up and starts talking and you just have to roll your eyes because whatever they're about to say is so ridiculous. Or even whenever they come, they, you start to shy away because you just don't want to enter a conversation with them. What about those neighbors? What about the ones that you hold grudges against? What about the ones that have wronged you so long ago and you feel that hurt and that frustration and that pain and anytime you see any reminder of them, that all of a sudden that, that, that sort of grudge is reignited? What about that neighbor? Do you love that one? Because when Jesus says love your neighbor, he's not just saying love the ones that you choose. He's saying love all of your neighbors. Be generous with all your neighbors. Be generous with your community. Look out for others. Look out for their well-being. And then here's the final thing. Paul, when he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica, he's reminding them, you became imitators of me. Praise God for your gift of faith. Praise God for the ways that you've responded. And he responded in such abundance that it not only affects your community, but it affects those around you. They see your generosity, and they are moved to faith. They are moved to gratefulness. They are moved to gratitude because they see the way that God is at work in your hearts. Our world is in such desperate need of this. Our world is not filled with gratitude any longer. Our world is filled with selfishness. Our world is filled with individualism. Our world is filled with the ego, with the I, what I want, what I need, what I desire, and nothing else. And because of that, we're so broken and so fractured. What would happen if we were the light that showed others to live generously towards others? What if we were the ones who challenged those at work, those at school, and those around us to live as if the other mattered more than we did? What if we were the ones who showed them the way that God loves them and the way that we love them and even the ones that don't rub us the right way? What if we even showed love through those relationships? What if we even loved those neighbors and showed the world how to love? I dare say we'd find ourselves in a changed place. And sure, those aggravations might continue. The ways that we can't exactly merge into traffic the way we want to, or maybe even the times whenever we're in a hurry and everything's fighting against us even at the checkout. Or maybe the times whenever the Lord is asking for us to pray about something in faith and it's on the busiest day of the year. That all of those moments are moments of opportunity and moments of choice. Are we going to choose to live for ourselves or live for others? The Lord Jesus gives us these two simple commandments. Love the Lord your God and love our neighbor as ourself. Brothers and sisters, today, who are you going to choose? To love yourself or to love your neighbors?